Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is analyzing ESPN's WNBA mock draft, but we're only going to specifically look at the first round. So we're going to talk about the first pick, the first pick of the draft. It's Charlie Collier, center out of Texas, and she's going to the Dallas Wings. Jalen, how do you think Charlie Collier fits with the Dallas Wings? So I think I'm kind of going to lean on ESPN's analysis a little bit here um, throughout the throughout the podcast. So forgive me if it sounds like I'm reading. I actually am. <laughs> so one of the things that I thought was really interesting that it touched that uh, that the article touched on 19 points per game, 11.3 rebounds a game, shooting 51% from the field. The bigger thing is that. She's a very raw prospect overall that kind of like still needs to learn how to play as a true big at that like at that level. One of the bigger things that the article touches on is that when she plays against elite level bigs, so playing against teams like Baylor or Maryland or South Carolina throughout this season or one of those things where you kind of saw the flaws and you kind of saw the raw talent where she kind of projects in a way where you're going to have to get, you're going to have to pick Collier focusing specifically or more so I should say on her overall upside, mainly in the fact that she's a superb rebounder. Like I said, 11.3 rebounds a game. um, I think is very huge. The um, Texas coach Vic uh, Shafir said something that I think is really interesting in this article. It says, whoever gets her, they're going to get a motor, a work ethic. She's carried us a lot, uh, us a lot of nights. Obviously, obviously the next level is a lot more physical. So basically that shows even in the coach's perspective that the physicality at the next level is going to be the swing skill, so to speak, as we tend to tend to throw out in dub in, in NBA drafts. In the WNBA aspect, the physicality is going to be the projection for her that's going to be really important. I think one of the bigger things to focus on in terms of her fit at the next level for the Dallas Wings is that they're kind of thin at center. Um, You look at it, um, Isabel Harrison is um, one of them that played relatively okay last season, 6.4 points, 4.6 rebounds, kind of was hurting in the rebounding department as a team, if you really look at their overall production at the rebounding, Arike Abumake was Abumawale was really still um, their main offensive weapon. Satu Sabali was their main rebounder with 7.8 uh, rebounds a game in the 16 games that she played for them this season. And that's just interesting all in itself, just out of the fact that she's, you know, 6'4 is a big, as well that plays mainly the forward spot. So I think Collier just gives them a lot of size that they're not necessarily lacking, but missing that pop from, especially on the offensive and defensive glass. Collier this season averaging 19 points a game, 11 rebounds, shooting 51% from the field. She had a good game in the upset win against Maryland. You briefly mentioned that um, 16 points, 11 rebounds. Collier struggled in a handful of games against great competition. In the round of, of 32, she faced UCLA, only scored five points. In the Elite Eight, she faced South Carolina, four points, four rebounds, two of ten from the field. In the regular season, in the three matchups she uh, Texas played against Baylor, she struggled against 
against Baylor, who were one of the best teams all season long. She averaged 5.7 points a game, five rebounds, and shot a combined 5 of 14 from the field. But outside of her struggles, I feel like she has a lot of upside. You you mentioned that as well. She's 6'5". She's capable of getting her own buckets down low, which is something Dallas needs. And their only reliable scorer throughout last season was Arike Gumbuwale. And I feel like when you average close to 20 points a game, that's something that could be very beneficial to a team that really doesn't have a definitive second option. I wouldn't doubt that Charlie Collier is the first pick at this point, just one day outside of the WNBA draft. But I think her potential is intriguing. I think she'll definitely start at power forward or center for Dallas. But I want to see how she fares against some of the some of the more physical post players in the WNBA, like Sylvia Fowles. Yeah, I think that's going to be the most interesting thing about it is, like you said beforehand, the physicality at the next level. Her coach mentioned it as well that the physicality of the next level obviously is raised significantly. And I think that's going to be one of the bigger things beforehand because you know that she's going to be a primarily post player. She's not a three-point shooter whatsoever. Not somebody that really explored the idea of stretching the floor very much. And although that's not necessarily as important in their style of game with the fact that they play such high up-tempo basketball, her ability, her motor, something that um, Coach Vicks touched on, I think is going to be her biggest um asset in terms of being able to get an understanding of the WBA level early and often she's going to be somebody that's going to rely on being able to get a lot of buckets off of effort and simply running the floor and I think that's going to be really good in translating for the Dallas Wings mainly who I think kind of just need a significant influx of talent overall and they're going to be able to do that a lot in this draft considering they've got what four of the top 12 picks in this year's draft. So it's going to be really interesting. We're actually about to talk about them a little bit more. Yeah. You mentioned that we're talking about them a little more with the second overall pick and a walk Coyer power forward from Finland is slated to be the second overall pick to the Dallas wings. And a walk Coyer is somebody that is another intriguing prospect in this draft. I mean, 19 years old coming out of Finland, she plays for Ragusa in uh, Italy in the Euro league. Jalen, what do you believe is the most intriguing thing about a walk coyer? So I think the main thing, right, is that there's two things in particular. I think the ceiling overall for her development as a stretch big is going to be really interesting. I think this can be a significant situation for her where she can play a bit of a stretch big role that can also handle the ball in a way that kind of is related this might be a bit of a stretch, so rock with me here. But I think Elena Deladon or even Emma Miesemann, two players that we saw for the Mystics, a team that we're a fan of here in Maryland, I think that she can have that kind of projection at the next level because of the fact that she can handle the rock really well, runs the floor extremely hard, um, is one of those players that also is extremely active on the defensive glass not necessarily as a rebounder too much, 6.8 rebounds per game. I think that's where Collier is going to cover up a lot of the deficiencies there. They're going to be a very big gang rebounding team. I think Collier is going to be one of those that tends to get most of the boards, though. But on the defensive glass as a shot blocker, that's going to be the thing that's really interesting. She averaged nearly two blocks per game over there in the Euro League, And so far this season, she's made 14 threes over there. I think that's something... It's pointed out in the article that that's something that could be pretty interesting overall as a swing skill for her. I think that could be the difference 
between being a uh, a simple cog in a system for the Dallas Wings and being an elite playmaker next to Enrique for the Dallas Wings, if that makes any sense. I think her stretch ability is going to be the thing, especially with the fact that they would, based on this mock draft, be taking Collier first. This gives them the perfect inside-out game balance that they need with these two draft picks as one player that's strictly a post player that can control the glass offensively and defensively and another player that can step away from the basket do a little bit with their handle and also make plays for our teammates i think that's going to be really interesting with the fact that again it's another player that's going to have to kind of adjust to the physicality of the game at the next level but i think effort and upside are going to be huge for these two players and the dallas wings can use all the effort and upside in the world. And these two players both provide a lot of that. Warriors averaging 8.9 points a game, 6.8 rebounds. You mentioned she's averaging close to two blocks a game. I feel like for Dallas, these two picks will either be great players and a dominant front court for the next seven or eight years, or these two could be two of the biggest busts in WNBA history. This is another pick that I feel like is about upside. Coyer's 19 years old. And like Collier, she's 6'5". I can see the potential with a one-two punch in the front court, considering that both Collier and Coyer could start for Dallas immediately. And I think they have the potential to be great players for Dallas, but I bring it up again. We're talking about upside and potential for these two. I can't stress this enough. These two have to be two picks that are franchise changers for Dallas. And there can be potential, but... When it comes time to step on the court, I think they have to show that they're worthy of being selected first and second overall in the draft. I think that even though Collier and Coyer are supposed locks for the first two picks of the draft, I feel like that there are other players that could take that slot, like Arella Garantes from uh, Rutgers, Ari McDonald, who had an amazing tournament from Arizona. I just feel like we'll have to wait and see in May when the season starts. And I think that there's potential, but we'll see. Yeah, I think they're going to be really interesting. We obviously know that a player like Ari McDonald, actually she is slotted to Dallas a little bit later on. So, of course, we'll probably talk a lot more about how her fit, um, how she will fit at the next level for Dallas, considering the fact that, you know, they've taken two bigs now based on this mock draft. How will she fit next to Arike, for example? Uh, Alicia Gray is another one that she's going to have to – combat minutes for that's going to be really interesting to see how that dynamic fits but I think Dallas you know we're going to talk about Dallas a lot in this obviously so I don't want to go too deep into their roster without kind of touching on how these prospects fit but it's going to be really interesting at the top of the draft I think boomer bust potential is kind of interesting but I think that these two players are more likely to hit just because they're they're two styles are very complementary to one another in a way that I think should actually really help Dallas and I think really like I said before and at the end of the day Dallas just needs an influx of talent and with some of the trades they've made in the offseason um in terms of being able to acquire these picks I think this is the perfect opportunity for them to be able to do so I think that Dallas has a lot of potential with their picks in this draft and I think it would be an understatement to say that they could make a playoff run if all things go well and, and especially with the with some of the players that they're drafting we're going to talk about two of them later with uh Ari McDonald and Chelsea Dungy, the shooting guard out of Arkansas. But moving on to the third overall pick for the Atlanta Dream, Aurela Garantis, a shooting guard out of Rutgers. What impresses you the most about Aurela Garantis? Uh, bucket getter, dude. It's like literally one of our biggest MOs on this podcast. 
is the idea that she is a consistent score on a night-to-night basis as a player that honestly for Rutgers, her transition from Texas Tech to Rutgers was not only seamless, it was probably the best move she could have made for herself in terms of being able to make a play in um in terms of in terms of becoming a prospect uh for the WNBA. Average 21.3 points per game, six rebounds a game, 5.2 assists on a nightly basis. This basically just gives this basically gives the dream another player to help stretch the floor. If we kind of look at Atlanta as a whole right now, you know, they have Bettina Laney. Um, they have a handful of players who are going to be really interesting overall when we talk about uh, we can go down the list. Kennedy Carter who led the team with 17.4 points per game. Obviously, like I said before, Bettina Laney was 17.2. Courtney Williams is going to be really interesting at the next level uh, in terms of matching up um, as a big for them, considering she had 7.2 rebounds per game. Their leading rebounder and Monique, Monique, uh, Monique Billings is going to be huge as well in terms of her overall fit because she's more of an inside post presence with 8.5 uh, rebounds and 8.5 points on a nightly basis. I just think that they're a really good rebounding team that also plays really hard in half court sets as an offensive team, but they just need a little bit more stretch to their game. Um, If that kind of makes any sense, if you really look at it, they don't really have too many players that shoot the three at a high clip. Once you get past Carter and Laney, they don't really have any other players who even take the three very often. When you think about some of those players that I mentioned beforehand, um, Elizabeth Williams and Monique Billings don't even take threes, really. Um, and they don't really stretch the floor at the big spot. I think that in this position, when we're talking about what Arella Garantes uh, brings to Atlanta, it's simply the fact that she stretches the floor and gives them another bucket from outside as a, you know, as a wing player. You mentioned Benaja Laney. She signed with New York in the offseason. And I feel like it's going to be interesting to see if Arella Garantes is the player that is going to fill her role. She averaged 21 points a game, six rebounds and five assists with Rutgers last season. She dropped 30 points in her last game against BYU. The fourth time she put up 30 plus points this season. And Jalen, you mentioned it at the beginning of your take. She's a bucket getter. She only has one game this season where she scored the single digits. And she's been consistent and she loves to score. Garantis gives another or Garantis gives Atlanta another shot creator. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how Garantis pairs up with Kennedy Carter, who was great last season for Atlanta. I think it'll be interesting because these two are score first guards. And I'm curious to see how they will play on the court together and what their chemistry is like early in the season. But I think shooting guard is the, is the route that Atlanta should go with. I think that Garantis could be a great compliment for Kennedy Carter. Yeah. I think that overall, like you said beforehand, it's going to be really interesting to see what that fit is going to be like. I'm glad that you reminded me about Bettina uh, Bettina uh, Laney moving to New York, because I think that's going to be one of the other things that's really important too, is really when you talk about stretching the floor, I think that actually becomes more important when you talk about her departure, as opposed to her actually being a cog on this Atlanta dream team, because of the mere fact that 
they were that she she was their best three point shooter at forty point five percent from three, and with her leaving, that leaves it where they automatically have a hole at the shooting guard position, not only from a scoring aspect, but from overall as a ball handler, but from a three point shooting aspect as a player that needs to be able to stretch the floor and create space for Atlanta to be able to work, especially with the fact that Kennedy Carter performs very well in isolation situation, excuse me, situations, but isn't going to be able to do that if she doesn't, if she's got two draped on her all the time and is forced to always try to create that space for herself. And I think it's just going to be emphasized even more considering that Kennedy Carter really carried that team last year, but Naja Laney was a great player for them as well. And I think it's just going to matter on how Garantes fills that role left by Laney. Um, moving on to the fourth pick with Renia Davis, small forward out of Tennessee. She is slated to go to the Indiana Fever. Jalen, last year, Davis averaged 17 points a game, 8.8 rebounds. She shot 49% from the field, 25% from three. Do you feel like that she can improve on her three-point shot when she gets to the WNBA? I think that's the biggest thing. I think that's going to be the quote-unquote swing skill for her because she's already a lockdown defender. That's one of the bigger things that I feel like is what's played her into being a top-five pick so far as the fact that she plays extremely hard on that side of the ball. And, you know, the article touches on her uh, multi-dimensional optionality, basically, with the fact that she has good size at 6'2", very uh, lengthy as well on the defensive end. I think that she's going to be one of those players. It's really in- interesting because this sounds like such an Indiana pick with how gritty they tend to be on the defense side of the ball. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting how they decide to go about doing things. Um, I think one of the main things that's going to be important, like you mentioned before, and in terms of improving at the three, the three point shot, at the next level, I think that's going to be important because she has to be able to present, that her offensive game will translate. I think the defense will be there, but I think that 17.3 points and 8.8 rebounds per game at Tennessee is a lot on effort, steals, and optionality as a mismatch at 6-2 um, that can be as functional as she can be on the offensive end as a player that moves really well without the ball and things of that nature. But I think shooting 26% from beyond the arc is one of those tells that's going to make it where at the next level teams are going to force her to shoot. And I think it's going to be really important for her to be able to knock those down at a higher clip. Does she need to all of a sudden go from 26 to 35 or 37? No, I think that's a ridiculous swing that I don't think is actually realistic within her first season. But I think if she can bump that up to about 30 to 31%, I think realistically, does that make her a knockdown shooter? No. But does it make her a threat behind the arc as a player who can hit one out of every three three-point attempts that she takes as a low-volume three-point shooter as it is? Yes, because then that means that there's going to be certain nights where she's going to be able to get grippy and get real hot, where she's not only going to be able to lock down on the defensive end, but she's going to be a significant threat on the offensive end as a player who can really, really be a threat one through four in a really interesting way as a player that can kind of play very versatilely off the ball. I keep talking about the off the ball movement because I think that's one of those things that's going to be really important too. I think she's one of the best defenders in the draft. I think she can add depth to the forward position. Improving our three-point shot, that's a, that's definitely something that she could do. I think bumping it up to 30, 31%, that seems like a target 
that can make her a very potent three-point shooter. I think offensively, she can score from a lot of areas on the floor, from the paint to the mid-range. I think that's where she thrives the most. I also think she's going to get a lot of scoring help from Kelsey Mitchell. She was one of the leading scorers in the league last year, and Mitchell's a player that was very reliable for Indiana last year to efficiently shoot from three. I think with drafting Davis, if she develops her three-point shot, Indiana could be an interesting team, and I think they might have a chance to pull off some sneaky wins this year. Yeah, I think Indiana is in a really interesting position with the players that they have coming in. I think that this will be the start of something that could put them really back in the mix. Um, I don't necessarily know right now whether or not this is going to be a swing move or not, but I think the upside that Davis has is one of those things that could potentially make her a starter caliber player, if not a six-woman style player right out the gate that will get a lot of minutes just simply off the fact that her versatility is significant. And I know we teased with this fifth overall pick with uh, Ari McDonald, point guard out of Arizona. I think that this is a very interesting pick. And Jalen, I kind of want to get your take on this because Ari McDonald is a shooting guard, but they Mm -hmm. also have Chelsea Dungy, somebody that we're going to talk about a little later with the seventh overall pick, another shooting guard for this Dallas Wings team. Where do you see Ari McDonald fitting in with this team if they're going to go and get somebody like ESPN projects with Chelsea Dungy at seven, somebody that plays the same position as her? Where do you see her fit on this team? I mean, I really find it really interesting because I think these two are interchangeable in a way that I think Dungy is actually going to be more of a shoot, a true shooting guard for them. And of course, with um, Arike Ogumawale, it's going to be one of those things where it's going to be the question of, is she going to mainly either be a small ball three? A is Arike going to get moved to the two in certain scenarios? Is she is is Dungy strictly going to be a come off the bench plays as the second two guard um in their lineup? Like there's a lot of different things that's really interesting about this because I think that R. McDonald is more of a point um at the next level. That's where things get really interesting, too. And the article actually points out, you know, the idea of if they if it comes down to McDonald or actually Dana Evans out of Louisville, who they who this article has slotted going to New York. I think that's the conversation that might even be a little bit more interesting than McDonald versus Dungy in terms of their fit on the team. I think, Ryan, the question I kind of want to swing to you is the question that the article asks itself. If you're at if you're at five and it's Dana Evans from Louisville or Art McDonald from Arizona, which one are you going with? Because I feel like it's hard to just simply lean on the tournament to tell me which player fits better for this for these circumstances. Because I think that there's a legit argument that Dana Evans might fit a little bit better on this team. But I think that is significantly debatable depending on how you look at their skill sets. I want to say a hot take real quick before I proceed with my take. I think there's a chance that Dallas trades Enrique Agumboale on draft night. Because if the direction that they're going is shooting guard or point guard, I feel like her fit on this team is very questionable considering that if the mock draft stands, Dallas goes and gets Ari McDonald with the fifth overall pick and they get Chelsea Dungy with the seventh overall pick, that pretty much covers your point guard and shooting guard. It wouldn't make any sense to have them coming off the bench at all. So I feel like in that sense, it's very interesting for where Enrique Gubawale stands because 
I mean, obviously she, she's going to start for this Dallas team, but if you think about it, I mean, if you, you draft somebody at five and seven, you would think that they're going to get the starting caliber minutes and maybe they're going to have a three guard lineup with Arike Gumbuale, Chelsea Dungy and Ari McDonald. But in terms of who I think Dallas could select, I think they might select Ari McDonald. I think they just, she gave enough of a sample size in the tournament where I feel like that she just solidified herself as a top five pick. She's somebody that's been consistently going to the foul line in the tournament. One of the reasons why she was one of the leading scorers for Arizona was because of her trips to the foul line. She went eight of 12 in the game against Stanford. She's shown consistency in being able to get there. I think the article is very interesting because they have McDonald and Dungy both going to Dallas, both of them shooting guards, but you kind of figure they're going to either split minutes or both start. And I just think it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting offensive scheme that Dallas is going to put together if they're drafting both Ari McDonald and Chelsea Dungy, as well as also keeping Enrique Gumbuale. I think that's the biggest thing that you touch on. And as much as that seems like a hot take, I almost am kind of interested by the aspect of it, right? Because they have so many draft picks this year. And the biggest thing is that I don't think they're expect. I don't think Dallas is expecting to necessarily be a playoff team this year. And moving Arike would maybe only further emphasize that. But I think that another big thing that's really important is just the idea of seeing what kind of upside they have and the kind of talent that they're getting. And you have to remember, these are all going to be first round picks. So the idea that they're all going to be either coming off the bench or more so in McDonald's case and Dungy's case, coming off the bench and having to produce within a limited role, they're not even going to really be able to get a full understanding of the, the maximized talent that these two have. And it's even harder because they're both primarily big time scoring threats so i think that's one of the bigger things that's going to be interesting for them um i don't know i think one of the bigger things that's going to be important though is that i think and you know we'll get we'll, i mean we can might as well talk about dungy now since we already kind of am on this train i think it's going to be interesting to see what her dynamic is defensively because one of the things that the article does touch on is that because of the offensive load that she had for the Razorbacks, she did not really, she wasn't very active defensively. This was a very like early Houston James Harden level player that we had playing for Arkansas. And the fact that basically her upside on as an offensive scorer is something that is very, very catching of the eye to lean on but defensively she wasn't very productive but the post play wasn't there for Arkansas along with the fact that she just simply had so much more to to harbor in terms of getting her team's points on a nightly basis I think with Arika Agubawale on the team as well as the two draft picks we talked about earlier with um Collier and Curier uh Curier is basically that the post play for this team is significantly going to improve, which is going to create shot blocking inside a lot more length overall that she's playing next to defensively, which should also help with covering up certain deficiencies. And she's not going to be asked to be as much of a high volume scorer. Now I think, although her numbers might be hurt offensively, I think her effort on the defensive end might even be what ends up helping lead her to get more minutes. And I think with different personnel around her of this improved caliber, 
there's a chance that she could slowly maybe develop into a bit of a two-way player with her role being reduced. Yeah, and I just want to talk about Ari McDonald for a little bit. I mean, she averaged 21, close to 21 points a game, 5.6 rebounds, 4 assists. I mean, she had a great run to the tournament, 20 points against Stony Brook in the first round, 17 and 11 in the second round against BYU, 31 and 5 against Texas A&M in the Sweet 16, 33 and 11 against Indiana in the Elite Eight, 26 and 7 against UConn in the Final Four, and then put up 22 points against Stanford. Now, granted, she only shot five of 20 from the field against Stanford, but she was keeping Arizona and Arizona in the game. And I mentioned that. Uh, her trips to the I mentioned her trips to the foul line eight of 12 from the line in that game and she kept drawing fouls throughout the game but if we talk about the assortment of picks that Dallas has in the first round and all the directions that they could possibly go Ari McDonald has to be on the Dallas uh, Wings' radar after the NCAA tournament because she's a solid scorer considering how much she was scoring and how often she could get to the line I think adding Ari McDonald could be the best move coming out of the draft. Now, before we get to Dana Evans, I want to talk about Chelsea Dungy, the shooting guard out of Arkansas. Um, the ESPN article has Dungy going uh, seventh to the, or Dungy with the seventh pick uh, to the Dallas Wings. She's averaging 22 points a game. I think her scoring makes her a threat on offense. And I think giving Enrique another scoring option in the backboard would be beneficial for Dallas. She's a strong three-point shooter. She can get it done on defense. And I think Dallas needs all of it. They need the three-point shooting. They need guard depth, and they need defense. I think Dungey provides all of it. And the other thing that will be interesting is if they draft Ari McDonald at five, like I mentioned earlier, I feel like they're going to have three great scorers on their team. And I think Dallas could have one of the best offenses in the league when it's all said and done. But I feel like another X factor on this team that we're really not talking about is Mariah Jefferson because – I mean, she's somebody that has locked down the shooting guard position um, for Dallas. And I think it's really just about how much playing time she's going to get if she's if she's splitting minutes with the two rookies, Ari McDonald and Chelsea Dungy. But I think that's just something we're going to have to see when the season starts in May. Yeah, I think that's the most interesting thing, too. And I think the biggest comparison between. When you talk about Ari McDonald and Dana Evans, when we were talking about the comparison between the two and it was like, who would you take on the board based on what you've seen from college? I do understand that it's hard not to involve the tournament when talking about the overall draft stock of these two. But we do have to both admit that for the entire month of March, R. McDonald was simply the better player overall. And I think the other thing, too, is the fact that McDonald is a I would I would argue, despite being the shorter player, I would say that she's more she's more tenacious on the defensive end and plays with a lot more grit and toughness on the defensive end, which I think if you're talking about the fact that, you know, her and Chelsea Dungy might be uh, two players that split minutes or, you know, have to compete for minutes coming off the bench. I think McDonald in this F in this area might actually have a little bit of a better chance to get on the floor more consistently simply out of the fact that I think her defense is going to translate first and her offensive game is going to translate next. But I think the the opposite flips for Chelsea. I think Chelsea is going to be a player that's going to be able to come off the bench and provide six to eight points on a nightly basis out the gate. But I think that her defensive skill set is going to be the thing that swings her into being a true rotational player for the Wings. 
And I think it's just going to be interesting to see going forward, considering that the roles could be different. I mean, Arike Gubuwale might not be there um, after draft night. She may be on a different team. You know, Ari McDonald might be the starting point guard. Chelsea Dungey might be the starting shooting guard. Mariah Jefferson, who's kind of getting lost in all of this, is maybe the X factor for this Dallas Wings team that's hoping to make a playoff push, possibly also possibly on a rebuilding team as well, especially if they trade Arike Gubuwale. But even though that's interesting, I think the sixth pick is very interesting as well. Dana Evans, point guard out of Louisville with the sixth pick. She, she's going to the New York Liberty. I think that this is very interesting because of the amount of talent that New York acquired in the offseason, and especially with the amount of talent that they're getting back. Jalen, just, just talk about how Dana Evans is going to fit on this New York Liberty team, especially if she's playing with Sabrina on the floor. I mean, shoot, we could talk about Sabrina all we want to, but when it comes to New York, we might as well call them the New York Cardinals, not the Liberty. As many freaking Louisville players as they have on this team or former Louisville players at that, Asia Dirt, Jasmine Jones, Kylie Shook, I mean, all are players that are on this roster. And so, I mean, they're pretty much working with about a, a fourth of their roster is just all players that came from a similar program. I think that's one of those things that actually might work in her favor from a culture standpoint, stepping onto that team, because it's going to be a team where the coaching staff kind of already has an understanding of what not only her play style is going to be, but what kind of system she is coming from, considering that they've already worked with a handful of players that have come from the same system. We also have to remember that Dana Evans has probably been one of the better players to come from Louisville in recent drafts as well. So we're talking about some of these players, but outside of maybe Asia Durr, I would say that arguably Dana Evans is probably the better player of these four in terms of players that translated from Louisville. So I think that the upside is even higher in that case. Now, like I said before, her month of March was not extremely impressive but at the end of the day she's a player that is a high volume scorer that provides a lot um overall as a ball handler significantly as a ball handler i might add um i think one of the bigger things that's going to be kind of interesting is um the assisted turnover turnover ratio 4.1 assists to nearly two turnovers a game um a couple seasons ago and that has kind of come down to an area where it's kind of only become more thin of a margin as her usages went up in this past season. She went from, you know, the 4.1 assists all the way down to this year, we're talking about 3.5 assists and she's up to three turnovers. So the assisted turnover ratio, what I'm trying to basically explain here is as her usage has went up, her turnover, her assisted turnover ratio has significantly increased in a way that's made it where her ability to hold on to the ball is going to be really important. Now, I think Sabrina, this is where Sabrina comes in, <laughs> is as a, another lead ball handler at the 1-2 spot. I think that that's going to be what helps Evans transition to the next level in terms of being able to be an elite ball handler. I think one of the things that's going to be important for her is with a high-volume scorer like Sabrina next to her, uh, Bettina as well, it's going to be important that Dana Evans becomes more of a stronger facilitator. Um, I think this is going to be a team where I don't think she can average 21 points a game and 4.3 assists or, you know, 19 and a half points per game. 
um how it was uh what was it the season before where she had 3.5 assists i don't think like when you look at where things are going i think that she's gonna have to float around five and six assists a game um this season she was more at 4.3 the usage was a little bit uh a little bit higher the free throw shooting was definitely there in a significant way as well her career best but I think her facilitating is going to be really important because her transition as a overall high volume score throughout the years has fluctuated high turnover to assist ratio down to low back to high and then this past season kind of like middle of the pack so like that's going to be one of the things that I think is going to be interesting in terms of her fit. Jalen, you mentioned a while ago that Dana Evans was one of your unsung hoopers when we were doing our NCAA uh, women's mm-hmm. basketball um, unsung hooper edition. Averaged 21 points a game last season, like you mentioned. Uh, she was one of the more consistent scorers in the season and in the tournament. I don't think there's any doubt that she's going to make an impact wherever she goes, but this is an interesting situation she's going to be in with New York. They're getting Sabrina Ionescu back healthy, and they just signed Banaja Laney in the offseason. They still have Jasmine Jones and Laysha Clarendon, who carried most of the scoring load for New York last season. I think my biggest concern is playing time because I have no idea how much playing time she's mm-hmm. going to get, especially if she's splitting it with Sabrina. This could be an interesting situation. Three-guard lineup of Evans, Sabrina, and Laney. I would love to see that, especially how they would gel on the floor. I just feel like the possibilities are endless, especially with somebody like Dana Evans. Now, I don't think she's going to average 21 points a game, and I believe you said it was four assists as well. I think Mm -hmm. those numbers might be cut in half, considering that Sabrina might take a lot of the scoring load. And then they just add Natasha Howard, who's a great pick-and-roll partner. I just think it's going to be interesting. We already know New York could use another guard, but this is a playoff caliber roster already, and this just makes it even more intriguing with Dana Evans if they if they draft her with the sixth overall pick. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing is that they become a lot more intriguing overall because I think their team is starting to slowly make more sense. I think the Natasha Howard uh, acquisition to give them another big down low is going to be huge. Getting Sabrina Ionescu is almost like signing a major free agent in terms of being able to get her back from injury. I think the big thing with Dana Evans too is I don't think competing for playing time is going to be too difficult because we have to remember that Kia Nurse one of their better players from last season ended up signing with Phoenix. So with that being another thing that's pretty important, you factor that in the time, the timing for that is going to be really important in terms of matching in, you know, her playing time next to Sabrina. That's why I think I agree with you that I think the point total is going to cut down. I think she might actually float closer to like maybe 15 points a game. Cause I don't, she's still going to go get a bucket, bro. Like we know that's like, we know that's her MO, but I think at the end of the day, I think the more important thing is going to be that with her not being the primarily the primary ball handler next to Sabrina, she's going to be a very good off ball player. I think that's where her three point shooting is going to come into hand or come into play. But I think her ability to facilitate and play off the off the ball, those are going to be the two skills she's going to need to really showcase next to Sabrina, especially with the fact that she would, she needs to be a catch-and-shoot threat out of the, um, um, on the perimeter, considering that they're going to have a player like Natasha Howard in the post that can, can be a really good out-of-post uh, passer. And then Sabrina Ionescu, who's, a, who's really good at driving into the lane and making kickouts as well. So catch-and-shoot, moving without the ball, you know, playing really well in transition as a player that not only facilitates well, but finishes around the rim strong, something we know that she's very good at. These are all things that I think off the rip 
are going to be able to gel with Sabrina in the backcourt. And like I said, the fact that the playing time will be there, I think, with Kia Nurse going to Phoenix, I think that everything actually kind of works in a way where as much as Dallas might may potentially view Dana Evans as the better point guard and maybe a better overall talent than Ari McDonald, I think that Dana Evans is fit when New York actually is more of a match made in heaven considering the all, all the circumstances around playing time, the Louisville culture that's somewhat already pre-established, and the secondary slash primary guard, of course, when you're talking about playing next to the former number one overall pick that was Sabrina Ionescu. I think moving off the ball is interesting, and I even think about that because of the fact that even though Sabrina is a great facilitator, we can know she can go score from everywhere on the floor and like how efficient she is uh, shooting from the floor. So we talked about Chelsea Dungey when we were talking about the, da- the Dallas Wings with the seventh overall pick. Let's go to the eighth overall pick because this is another interesting one with Chicago Sky. Kiana Williams, point guard out of Stanford to the Chicago Sky. Now, obviously, the point guard situation in Chicago is locked up by Courtney Vandersloot. She had a very great of great season last year. She led the league in assists. But this is an interesting scenario considering that, you know, Kiana Williams is a starting caliber point guard, but it looks like she's probably going to be playing behind Courtney Vandersloot for the most part. Jalen, I just got to ask, what do you see as the role for Kiana Williams on the Chicago Sky team? I mean, I think a hard-nosed player that's literally just going to be learning from Courtney Vandersloot. I think the biggest thing with Kiana is the fact that She's in a circumstance as a high effort player that was like one of the driving forces for Stanford that I think is going to be kind of the, the, the baton pass from Vandersloot. I don't see it being anytime immediate because I think Vandersloot is such a high level facilitator that that's going to be something in her game that translates for a while, but she's a 10 year vet. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's one of those things where eventually you are going to have to somewhat focus on the future of the position. And I think that this is one of those perfect opportunities where a guard is available that plays with such a high motor letter team and points with 14 points per game, 3.1 assists per game. Um, she played all 40 minutes in those last two games um, between the final four and the championship game as well, which I think shows the effort. And one of the bigger things that I think needs to be focused on um, is the three point shooting. Um, As the article states, 311 three pointers on the season um, or, or, or in her career, that's pretty much the program record. That's one of those things that I think is going to be really important overall is not only just like the percentages, but I think the overall volume that we know that she can shoot the clip at. Um, One of the things that I kind of want to touch on with that really is the fact that like, if you want to get into percentages, we're talking about 33.8% during the regular season and booted it all the way up to 50.9 in the postseason. What? Like, that's like, that's insane. That, I mean, that's literally, I mean, that's literally insane. And on the sim, on a similar volume, mind you, it was 6.5 attempts on, th- um, it was 33.8% on 6.5 attempts. Then in the postseason, it was 50.9% um, on 6.3 attempts. So relatively similar volume. But it just seemed like the clip was 
was fully loaded. So it was one of those things that I think was going to be really important moving forward because she is not going to be able to facilitate at the that the 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 juncture that Vandersloot is, but I think that her three-point shooting makes her so much more of an offensive threat that I think actually having Vandersloot next to her is going to be something that's going to be really interesting for Chicago to, to maybe play with because that can be a player that can play a lot off of Vandersloot rather than behind her, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think Kiana Williams has been great for Stanford in their run to the championship. She led the team in points and assists as well as being able to shoot threes, like you mentioned, uh, school career best 300 or 311 uh, three-pointers made. She struggled shooting during the Final Four in the championship games, but throughout the tournament, she was one of the reasons why Stanford was so successful offensively. Um, I think that Chicago, they could use a backup point guard to back up uh, Courtney Vandersloot, but I think Kiana Williams – they they might have to they I think they might have to uh, experiment with that lineup with uh, Keanu Williams at the two Courtney Vandersloot at the one considering that I think they're even though they have two even though like Courtney Vandersloot can go and score I think that she's a very solid facilitator she's a solid facilitator and we know Keanu Williams coming out of college she can shoot threes at a high clip so I think that's going to be very interesting. I think if they don't experiment with that lineup, I think Kiana Williams could learn behind her. I think she could get she could get some significant playing time on a team that has some talented guards. And this is a team that's also poised to make a championship run. She's a player that could make that could be an X factor against some of the best teams in the league, and especially in and especially in a loaded Eastern Conference with new powerhouses um, coming uh, coming up like New York a team that we just talked about earlier. And then of course, in the uh, Western conference with a team like Dallas that could load up in the M- in the WNBA draft, but Kiana Williams, she could, she could be a starting caliber point guard um, for the Chicago sky. But I feel like her role might be different if, if, when she, when she first joins the Chicago sky. Yeah. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what they decide to do. I think the bigger thing that's going to be important is just seeing what her, progressions are next to a point guard like Courtney Vandersloot, mainly because of the fact that their skill sets are not necessarily the same, but I think that they both have a specific specialist style skill that I feel like they can actually play off one another with because Vandersloot's ability to facilitate and Williams's ability to shoot it at such a high rate are going to be one of those things that might make Chicago an extremely exciting team out of the fact that across the board, they have a handful of shooters that might be able to put the ball in the basket on a regular basis from beyond the arc. And if they're a high clip three-point uh, three shooting team, like as a whole, I mean, that instantly makes them significantly more dangerous across the league. And it's going to be one of those things that keeps them in a lot more games. We're transitioning now from a team that has a lot of guard talent to a team that has a lot of forward and center talent. Uh, with the Minnesota Lynx, with the ninth overall pick, ESPN has Jasmine Walker of the power of uh, Alabama power forward from Alabama going to the Minnesota Lynx. I'm interested to get your opinion on this one because Jasmine Walker is going to a team that uh, has Nafisa Collier. They have Ariel Powers and they have Sylvia Fowles, three of the best players in the WNBA. Where do you see her fit in this team? Do you think that she's going to get some starting caliber minutes playing with Sylvia Fowles? 
and Nafisa Collier, or do you think she's going to back up Collier and Fowles? Well, I think that's the interesting thing about this pick overall, right? Because it sounds like a rich gets richer scenario when you talk about the idea that they have so much talent at the power forward and center spot, and they're going for more of it um, in this in this suggestion or this mock for them, as opposed to a player uh, later on that we're going to talk about in Michaela Onyanyewere from Onyanyewere from UCLA. Um, or even Dijanae Carrington from Baylor, who's a player who's going to be really interesting to talk about later on at that 12th pick. But it's a situation where I see her being able to be extremely versatile because she does everything at the forward position that you kind of would want. The article kind of explains it uh, very briefly, but one of the bigger things that I think is really important is the fact that she's been a progressive player overall when you talk about her career arc. Just if we just simply want to talk about her transition from last season to this season, she was averaging 12 points a game, 7.2 rebounds, and uh, 1.1 assists. This year, jumped all the way up to 20 points a game, 9.9 rebounds, 1.6 assists. One of the bigger things that they were touching on that I think is important 40.7% from three on seven and a half attempts per game. I think that overall versatility is one of those things that I don't think she's going to have to fight for minutes. You know what I mean? I think she's going to be interchangeable throughout this lineup where she can either back up Collier, actually play next to her as somewhat of a stretch big. Um, I think that there's a lot of different ways that you could go about this, especially with the fact that Ariel Powers makes this dynamic so interesting because we know how Powers is as an offensive threat. And so being for them being able to play off of each other, I think that's going to be something else that's very interesting, too, because then the idealism for this team would be we can create versatile offensive and defensive lineups productively throughout the course of a game. And I think the fact that she has the kind of versatility that she has overall is going to be one of those things that I think is going to keep her on the floor like you know, throughout these times with a lot of these veteran bigs that they're going to, that she's going to be up next to. She's a great rebounder. And especially, especially when she's, when she is attacking the glass and when she can shoot three sufficiently, I think Jasmine Walker fits into Minnesota's scheme. A lot of their offense runs through their bigs and Sylvia Fowles and Nafisa Collier. They both had great seasons last year. Um, Minnesota has built their team through the draft, and I don't think it changes this time. She's going to a team that has some of the best forwards and centers in the league, like I mentioned earlier. And I think she'll be able to learn behind the Fisa Collier. I think it'll be interesting to see the tandem of Walker and Fowles, Fowles on the floor and Walker and Collier on the floor as well. This could be a solid move for Minnesota, and Walker could add some depth to an already loaded Minnesota front court. The last thing that I'll kind of end off on when it comes to them is just the mere fact that between Fowles, Collier, um, and now in this scenario, we're talking about Jasmine Walker. Good luck grabbing defensive rebounds. That's, that's going to be my main thing. Like, good luck competing on the glass. Between these three alone, I think that this is going to be a team that is going to Ooh, do I want to say it? I'm going to go for it. I think this is going to be one of those teams that I think genuinely will lead the entire league in rebounding by the end of the year. I think it's, I, and I, I don't think that it's, 
I don't think that's a significant thing in the grand scheme of things, but they always say that controlling a glass is the difference between winning and losing games. And I'm not saying that that necessarily means that Minnesota is going to win the championship or anything, but I do think that that gives their championship hopes a lot more of a boost because of the mere fact that they're always going to be in the games by creating extra possessions. And they have three elite level rebounders now with this pick, if they were to make this pick to the point that it's going to be kind of hard to compete with them on the offensive and defensive glass. A lot of scoring opportunities. I would not be surprised if this was one of the higher scoring teams in the league as well. And speaking of rebounding, let's talk about the 10th overall pick on uh, ESPN's article, ESPN's mock draft. Natasha Mack, power forward out of Oklahoma State, they have her going to the Los Angeles Sparks. And if we want to talk about rebounding, Mack is averaging close to 20 and 12 from this past season uh, with Oklahoma State. I want to kind of rework a question that you asked me earlier with uh, Chelsea Dungy and Ari McDonald, because I feel like the same thing could be said with Jasmine Walker and Natasha Mack in terms of their rebounding skills and how great they are on defense. Would you rather have, if you were Minnesota drafting tomorrow night, would you rather have Natasha Mack or Jasmine Walker? Oh, see, okay, see, that's tough because I think the biggest thing in comparing these two is the mere fact that when you talk about the offensive and defensive versatility that Jasmine Walker has is her upside skill as opposed to Natasha Mack, who is not really versatile offensively, but can guards, um, I think can genuinely guard the one through five with the fact that she has significant length. You combo her six, four standing with the fact that she has a significantly long wingspan. She averaged four blocks a game. Like what in the world, like significant shot blocker um, down low to lead division one basketball with uh, four blocks a game. Talk about Natasha Mack in this case. That being that that's, that's like something that you can't like, When's the last time we had a conversation about an elite shot blocker of that caliber coming out of college? Was that I guess am I am I stat chasing or name hunting by saying Brittany Griner? Like I feel like that's legitimately a player who might fall into that category. Maybe there's somebody else that might have been more recent, but in terms of recent memory, that's one of them that comes to mind as an elite shot blocker down low in the women's college game. Ooh, Ryan, you putting me in a tough spot here, though, my guy. Um if I'm going off skill set, I'm gonna go base. I'm gonna if I'm going based off skill set, I'm gonna take Natasha Mack. If I'm Minnesota, if I'm Minnesota though, I'm still taking Jasmine Walker because I feel like they have enough elite rebounding as it is. I think that Natasha Mack, if anything, is a little bit of a doppelganger ganger of Nafisa Collier with maybe a little bit more upside as a rim as a rim protector. I think that. When you look at Jasmine Walker, her versatility is what's going to make it where she's going to be interchangeable throughout the lineup and makes it where she's going to be able to be on the floor more versus Natasha Mack for Minnesota might be playing more of a backup role. So I think you'll get more production out of Walker sooner than you would get production out of Mack for Minnesota specifically. But I like Natasha as a overall player a little bit better. Oh, that was a tough one. Dang, dude. Natasha Mack is interesting because she led the league or she led the NCAA on block shots and her fit with the Sparks, I think could be very interesting. The Sparks were last in blocked shots. Um, so I think that this is something that Natasha Mack can help improve on. 
Um, she was a great defender last year. I think she can be versatile on offense, but her defensive presence could be beneficial for the Sparks. I think that she, I think she could get a lot of playing time to boost up LA's defensive efficiency, but I feel like she's going to most likely be coming off the bench for Nanike Aguamike or uh, Chine Aguamike as well. Um, I'm seeing a lot of comparisons to Natasha Howard of the of the New York Liberty, and I think she has that potential, especially for what she can do on defense. Especially, I think it'll be interesting to see how she how she fares in the pick and roll, um, especially with somebody like uh, Chrissy Tolliver. I just think it's going to be interesting. I think I think she just needs a pick and roll partner, and I think Christy Tolliver could be great. Now to sell, I think what what Minnesota should do. I feel like they can go either way because I feel like Jasmine Walker provides a little bit more of versatility on offense, whereas Natasha Mack is better is the better defensive player of the two. So I just think it's going to be interesting considering that they both can grab rebound, rebounds efficiently. They can score down low. They can attack the glass. They're great post players um, on defense, but I just think it's going to be interesting to see where they go. I think that, you know, either one of them could fall into their lap and I think they could be, they could benefit from either one of those players. I mean, I think the other thing too, is that if you talk about the center position more specifically, because I think that that's more so where she's going to be slotted on a team like this, Marie Gulich for this team wasn't very much as an offensive or defensive player for them. 2.4 points per game, 1.5 rebounds. It wasn't, I mean, outside of not being offensive, um, despite being offensively challenged, she also was more so over in most of her games. Her biggest game was six points against Minnesota um, really, really early in the year. I think it was, like, I think it might've actually been their first game of the season. And then um, when you look at the center position beyond that, Mar- Maria Vadiva didn't even play last season. The other thing that we need to kind of factor into this, Ryan, and I'm surprised you're the one who didn't bring it up because you're actually the one who brought her up, I think, on the last time we did one of our WNBA breakdown episodes. Amanda Zowie B is on the team now. You know what I mean? So this means this this gives them a significant one-two punch. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what she does because we're talking about Zowie B coming from New York in a situation where I think that she's going to be able to be more of an offensive focal point. She already was averaging dang near a double-double with nine points, 8.5 rebounds. Um, I think the biggest thing overall is, of course, she's not going to shoot it, so neither one of these teams, uh, neither one of these players on this team is necessarily going to space the floor for the other. But I think playing next to each other is going to be really interesting in terms of the fact that they both play with a certain level of physicality. I think they both finish around the rim really well. Um, Zowie B did finish with 1.4 blocks per game last season. So I think that's something to maybe build off on and may, may even expand a little bit in a role next to Natasha Mack um, as they both kind of develop as offensive players. They'll both be able to grow and they'll be able to grow on that side of the ball while leaning on their defensive acumen. Of course, they're both going to be able to crash the glass, which is going to be huge for this team. So I think if you match Zowie B up with Natasha Mack, I think defensively, I mean, it's going to be really interesting seeing how, how players are going to finish around the trees in there. Cause it's going to be a lot of shot blocking taking place. And I think there's a lot of length down there. So I, I think that's going to be a really interesting match for those two. My only thing overall is I still have my concerns about this team offensively. I think defensively, everything is starting to add up. 
I think everything is starting to add up. And I think as a rebounding team, getting Natasha Mack significantly adds in that department overall. A rebounding team and defensively. I mean, again, she she was, you know, division one leader in shots blocked. Like that's 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 something that you definitely need in, in this system. But this is one of those where I think that Natasha Mack, that the conversation of Natasha Mack versus Jasmine Walker, I think that Jasmine Walker, this is why she gets slighted at nine is because that versatility really works better for both of these teams in a way where offensively they're going to get a lot more from her than Natasha initially. Now, I think the biggest thing for Natasha is she's going to get a lot down low and get a lot off effort, get a lot off of semi-lobs. And I think that one of the bigger things, one of her better skills is running the floor. So... It's going to be really interesting to see what this team does offensively. I would not be surprised if this team was a slower paced team with the fact that they lean on their bigs in terms that I expect them to lean on their bigs from a talent perspective. Um, This is an interesting pick. I like Natasha Mack as an overall player. I just wonder, I think the pairing with Amanda Zogby is going to be huge. I just wonder what this team's ceiling is with the fact that I It'll feel like they're a smidge offensively challenged. Yeah, and you mentioned the pairing with Amanda Zowie B. I think that maybe they could complement each other well. I think that Amanda Zowie B is a good offensive player, even though she only averages nine points a game. She is averaging close to a double-double. I think that's going to be beneficial to a team that really doesn't have a true like offensive like threat down low. Um, I think Natasha Mack could be interesting. It could be an interesting pairing with Amanda Zowie B as a, as a one, two punch in the front court. I do think though, that it will be interesting to see how she, how she fits with her, because again, I think they might complement each other down low considering that the uh, Zowie B is the better offensive player of the two, but Natasha Mack is somebody that could grab rebounds down low, um, attack the glass I, I just think that this is going to be a very interesting situation that for LA, I'm not sure if this, if this is a needle mover though, um, mm. because I think that's, that's the other problem with LA. I think that, you know, they lost two of their best players in the off season in uh, Chelsea gray and Candace Parker. So I just feel like it's very difficult to see, to pinpoint like who's going to be their leading scorer this year and who's going to really take over the role of Candace Parker because considering she's been there for 13 years, she was the heart and soul of that Los Angeles Sparks team from the time that she was there. So I think that's just going to be interesting, something to watch out for going into the season or going into the season. Um, with the 11th pick, Michaela Onyenwer, uh, Onyenwer, small forward out of UCLA. She is slated to go to the Seattle Storm. This is another interesting one, Jalen, because uh, – Seattle lost Alicia Clark in the offseason, and it kind of seems like um, Anyanwer would be the player that would fill her role. Do you do you think she could fill the role left by Alicia Clark? I mean, that's the that's the tricky part, right? Is because I feel like the biggest thing for her is the fact that she is, as the article states, a little bit of an all-purpose guard, somebody who is a little bit of a tweener that tends to be able to flow between the one and the two as an off ball guard that can work next to a lot of the offensive talent that Seattle already has. Um, I think the biggest and most interesting thing when it comes to her fit on this team is that those are not the easiest shoes to fill. 
And you're asking her to essentially be an Alicia Clark clone in terms of her ability to fit on this team. So um, I think that's kind of tough because we're talking about if, if you want to really get into what I'm trying to say in terms of being like, oh, that's a that's a hard pill to swallow. Um, Alicia Clark was pretty big for this team last year. Um, Average a career high 10 points per game, 4.2 rebounds, 2.7 assists per game. And one of the bigger things that I think is slept on about the fact that Alicia Clark moved on was that I, I love this because she's coming to the mystics, right? This is like, this is the part of, this is the fandom part of me. That's like, dang, we don't get to talk about them on this podcast because they don't have a first round pot or first round pick. So on this episode, we can't discuss them as much, but I'm giddy at the fact that Alicia Clark shot 52% from three last year. Now I understand that's on three attempts per game, but when she could get hot, she, she really wouldn't kind of step out the face a lot. So I think the fact that they're losing a good three-point shooter and when you look at a player um, like Michaela, who's not necessarily an elite three-point shooter, they're, like I said, they're trying to, they, 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 this is a pick where it's almost like interchanging Michaela in for Alicia Clark. And I think that the skill set is not as closely similar as you would hope for the fact that you're trying to plug her into a spot field. Uh, or a spot uh, that is, you know, that was filled by an elite player like Clark. Yeah, she proved to be a solid scorer for UCLA this past season. Uh, 19 points a game, 7.2 rebounds this year. She's improving on her three-point shot, and I also think she's athletic as well. She was reliable for UCLA when they needed scoring, but I think her role on the team, her role on the team with uh, Seattle could be interesting. I threw out the idea of, her taking over the role left by Alicia Clark because she's a great, because Clark was a great three point shooter and a great defender for them. And I think it's a big role to fill considering the impact that Clark had on their championship run last year. But I feel like it's a role that um, Michaela Anyenwer could grow into. She's already a good defender and I feel like that she could improve and, and she can improve on her three point shot. So I definitely think that there is potential for Anyanwar to grow in that role. I think it's also a huge, a huge loss for the Mystics because she was she's out for the year um, with the Mystics. She just had surgery on her foot. I believe it happened overseas. So that's a huge loss for the Mystics going into this season, considering that they needed uh, somebody who can shoot the three at a high level, also play some solid defense. So I just think it's going to be tough. I think for Seattle, it's they they lose Alicia Clark, which was a huge um, asset to their team from the championship season. But there's a potential that maybe on Yenwer grows into that role and maybe they can repeat as champions. Yeah. And I mean, shout out to Alicia Clark, but Alicia Clark playing overseas. That's, that's tough. Cause you know, that's one of those things that I honestly personally hate about the WNBA from a payment standpoint, they're forced to have to go overseas and do some of these things in order to be able to keep the income going, uh, Satu Sabeli for Dallas Wing for the Dallas Wings is actually a player I follow on Instagram and pay a lot of attention to because of her play overseas um, outside of the season. So very unfortunate. And in terms of 
her production for the Mystics. We obviously won't see her this season, but that's one of those things that as a Mystics fan, I still look forward to the idea of having her on the floor as a floor spacer and an overall player that, you know, plays with a high IQ, makes very good decisions and gives us another, you know, defensive threat, which is a lot of the stuff that you already touched on. Um, yeah, when it comes to Michaela on Young, where I think it's going to be really interesting to just see whether or not this tweener label that she's received is something that's truly translatable at the next level. I think that's the biggest thing. Is it real or not? And I think it's just going to be interesting now, considering that, you know, looking back at the free agency signing of Alicia Clark, um, she does have two more years left on her deal after this season. So there is a chance that Alicia Clark is going to play next season. But just to move on to the 12th overall pick, the last pick of the first round, um, shooting guard out of Baylor, Dijanae Carrington, um, is set to be drafted, according to ESPN, to the Las Vegas Aces. I just think that this is another, another great player to join an already talented roster. And I think this is interesting, her role on this team, because she's a very physical player on a very physical team. So, I mean, this seems like the perfect fit. But what do you see her role being like on this team? Because I think it's just even more interesting considering that, you know, she kind of fits the scheme of this team, the defensive scheme on this team. But she also has the potential to be a great player offensively. I think that's really interesting that you touch on the idea of her physicality, because I think that's going to be one of the things that's going to be really like important in terms of her being able to get minutes. And, you know, we have to factor in, you know, Aja Wilson reigning MVP is going to get her buckets. She's going to be competing for minutes next to players like Kelsey Plum and Chelsea Gray, two players that we talked about a lot last season, despite the fact that, you know, for example, Kelsey Plum wasn't on the floor um, for most of last year. So we were talking about, you know, their overall production and just how much more talented this team can become when they're on the floor and healthy. Um, I think the biggest thing for her is going to be the fact that she gives she gives the aces a punch. I think a first off the bench punch that is so duplicable to Chelsea Gray that I think that'll be her overall role right is to basically be like to make an NBA analogy the typical thing that tends to be a big um hindrance for the Atlanta Hawks is the fact that when when Trey Young steps off the floor the point guard position and from a talent standpoint significantly diminishes and therefore they're giving up leads the offense is staggered things kind of come to a halt yes you have Aja Wilson, who's an MVP caliber player, but you have to remember that Chelsea Gray averaged 5.3 assists along with her 14 rebounds. I mean, with her 14 points per game and 3.7 rebounds. So when you factor that kind of thing in, I think a player of the caliber of Dijanae Carrington can step in. You know, she averaged 14.1 and four points and 4.9 rebounds a game. I think that she can step in and basically hold the fort down. I think that's going to be one of those things where you're going to pay attention to Carrington from a standpoint of what did what is her on-off minutes look like in comparison to a player like Chelsea Gray? What is that going to look like? What is the per 36 minutes and things of that going to look like in terms of her overall production? I think those advanced statistics 
are going to be where we look at Dijanae Carrington and kind of get a more a better perspective of her production on this team because I don't think you can say she's going to come in and average 14.1 points per game coming off the bench I just don't I'm not saying it's unrealistic I'm saying that I don't think that it for this team that's what they need I think they need her to still be a consistent scorer off the bench but I don't think they need her to be the exact same college player that she was coming out of college now the physicality that she brings Ryan, Bill Lambeer's the coach. Like, I feel like that's kind of where that that whole thing kind of sinks, right? That's kind of where it's like, hey, all right, point, <laughs> case and center. Like, Bill Lambeer is the coach. So from a physicality standpoint, I'm not even surprised that this team is where they are. It just, I think that Dijanae Carrington is, just, Carrington is just another rotational player for them that makes them extremely dangerous. And they were on the cusp last year. They just ran into the best team in the league. So telling me that they're going to get significant talent back with Gray and Plum and then you factor in Carrington being somebody that they might be able to get as a rotational piece as well, it's kind of hard to argue that we could end up seeing the Aces in a similar position to what they were last year, considering the fact that the talent is so vast. And Carrington was a great scorer for Baylor last year. She averaged 14 points and close to five rebounds last season. Another great defensive guard in this draft. And she was the defensive stopper for Baylor, getting steals and rebounds for the team. I mentioned the potential that she has to become a great player offensively. Just talking about the Las Vegas Aces for a second, this team is maybe the most talented team going into the season. And I feel like they could be more dangerous if they draft Dijanae Carrington. I think she'll get some significant playing time behind Chelsea Gray. And I think she's going to be effective when Vegas gets into late game situations when they need a stop because she was really known as the defensive stopper for Baylor. Um, I think that role kind of would transition to the Las Vegas Aces. But I think Carrington can make an impact on a team that could go back to the championship this year. Yeah, I think that's going to be really interesting to see what they decide to do lineup-wise with the fact that we know Aja Wilson is coming off of the MVP season. That's going to be one of those things you would think it would not have that much weight, but when you have a player of that caliber, you can't simply water her down because more talent is arriving on the team, um, whether it be via injury or uh, returning from injury or via the draft or free agency. So it's going to be a lot of trying to fit these players around Aja Wilson, not the other way around. Um, I think this is just another plug and play player that might not necessarily steal a starting spot from anybody, but is going to definitely get some rotational minutes in a way that could definitely come up big, especially in playoff case scenarios, because I think Carrington is one of those players that can really rise to the occasion. I think we saw that a little bit during the tournament as well. I know they didn't go all the way, but she was the driving force of that team. Um, considering that Baylor was one of the scarier teams throughout the entire season, and she had a, a ton to do with that. Transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, who do you believe would be the first overall pick in tomorrow night's WNBA draft? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.